Good morning, Smithfield. So we had to call an audible this morning uh, because yesterday I discovered that our parking lots were an ice rink. So we thought it'd be best to make sure everybody was safe. We don't want anybody getting hurt uh, on Sunday. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a message on prayer and we're gonna give you all an opportunity as families to pray together and to intercede on behalf of different things, um, praying for our nation, praying for gospel to every home, praying for personal needs in your family, having an opportunity to really come before the Lord together as a family um, and be encouraged in, in a time of family worship. So this is gonna be kind of interactive. I wanna preach a message to you about prayer but then we're gonna do it. We're gonna interact and do exactly what the Lord would have us do as the church. Because um, ultimately what we see throughout scripture is the church gives attention to two things. In the book of Acts, we see the church giving attention to prayer and the proclamation and ministry of the word. And through prayer and proclamation of the word, the world got flipped upside down. And that is the reality of God's work in and through his people. And more than that, God calls us to sweet communion with himself in prayer. We have the privilege as the people of God of coming to the Father through the Son, to pray. And that is a gift. The Apostle Paul says, pray without ceasing. So it's like being on the phone and just leaving the call button on all the time. Because we want to talk to our Father. We want to bring the needs of the day to our Father. We want to intercede on behalf of people, we want to pray that God would actually break into human hearts and save sinners. So we're going to come to a passage today in the Gospel of Mark where we're going to learn about prayer. And we're going to learn it from the Lord Jesus himself. So turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. And let's be helped by the Lord in praying as a church and praying as families individually and then personally and individually praying. And this is a call, brothers and sisters, this is a call to be praying as a people because if we want to have any influence in the world for the cause of Christ, then we got to cry, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And God will break in. God will move. Whenever there has been a revival throughout history, whether it's the book of Jonah, ultimately, or it's a revival throughout history, the Great Awakening in America, it was always preceded by prayer. Is it any wonder Jonah was praying in the belly of the fish before something happens in Nineveh? Is it any wonder that the people of God, when they begin to awaken to their sin, confess it before God, and then begin to pray and have an urgent burden for people around them, that God breaks in. 
And that's a sovereign work of God. But we, oh, we get the privilege of praying. So let's have a word of prayer and then enter into our text. Father, I thank you for your people. And I pray that each family who is listening to this word today, that they would be encouraged, that they would be helped, that they would see the pattern of Jesus in his praying and his preaching, in his prayer-fueled proclamation, and that they would be spurred on to be a people of prayer, to enjoy the sweet fellowship and communion that we have the privilege of, because of the gospel, to come to the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. That's the beauty of prayer. And I pray, oh God, that you would bless this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want you guys to picture what's happening here in Mark chapter 1. Jesus has had a full day of ministry. He has performed exorcisms, casting out demons, men running up to him in the middle of the synagogue. He's preaching a sermon full of demons. And Jesus says, be quiet, get out of him. And the man convulses, falls on the ground. The demon leaves and everybody goes, who is this man that he has authority even over the demons? Who is he? Only God can do that. And then Peter's mother-in-law is ill with a fever. And Jesus goes into the house and he hears about it and he heals her. And the fever leaves. Who can speak to a fever and it's gone? But Jesus, that's who he is. He's the sovereign Lord over the demonic realm. The demons are afraid of him. And even illness is under his control. And he can eradicate it like that. And this is like signs of the inbreaking of the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven has dawned. And in Mark verse 14 and 15, Jesus preaches the gospel of the kingdom. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And he has a full day of ministry. Do it casting, it says, the whole city was on his doorstep. And so after this long period of ministry, Jesus comes down from that and we go to our verses in verse 35. And it says, after that full day of ministry, that Jesus rises very early in the morning while it was dark and he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus had a method of ministry. He would do ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, preaching, casting out demons, healing people, and he had a method of spending time with his father in prayer, in communion with the Lord. Jesus has been praying the whole time. He has enjoyed fellowship with his father for all eternity. 
The love between the Father and Son has existed from all eternity. And prayer, brothers and sisters, is being caught up in that and invited in that because in Jesus, we get to pray to the Father. And it is a glorious privilege. And Jesus, after a full day of ministry, recharges his batteries, so to speak, in private communion with the Father in prayer. So the first thing we're going to learn is that Jesus' method is ultimately prayer. Everything he does is fueled by prayer. Everything he does, he does to delight in his Father's will. And so it says, and we'll look at three observations from the text. He rose very early in the morning. Jesus had a time to pray. Jesus went out and prayed at an appointed time. And brothers and sisters, if you don't have a regular time to pray, you will likely pray very little. Now, I've already said we want to leave that button on all the time, but we want to have intentional times where we're going to pray. And Jesus got alone with God and he had a time early in the morning to pray. Imagine what would happen in your life if you got alone with God every morning and you spent time in sweet fellowship with him and you prayed about the things you're worried about, the things you're concerned about, the things that you're burdened by. How many of us are doing that? How many of us ultimately are taking that time every day to have communion with the Father? And he longs to hear from his people. He longs to hear. He delights in it. And the Son died. Jesus died to bring about that relationship. Dying on the cross, rising from the grave so that you and I might be able to pray to the Father and have a real relationship because sin has messed that up. And there's a barrier between us and God. And Jesus Christ broke it down on the cross. And he rose up out of the grave so you and I could call out to God in sweet prayer. So have a time, brothers and sisters. And notice in verse 35, he also went out to a desolate place. He departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So we see that Jesus actually had a place where he prayed. He didn't just uh, have a time, he also had a place. So many of us struggle in prayer because we don't have a place. We don't have a closet. Oh, brothers and sisters, you need to have a prayer closet. You need to have a place where you go to be alone with God and get before the throne of grace and then ask petitions before the Lord. Thank God for his glorious grace. And the Lord is faithful to answer the prayers of his saints. The prayer of a righteous man is effectual and availeth much, James says in his letter. Brothers and sisters, when we get alone and we have a place and we have a time, we are going to pray more regularly. And if we don't, there's chances are we don't pray very much. 
And I don't want this to be a, a, a message where it's just this big guilt trip on you. I want you to feel the sweetness and the glory of being able to get alone and be with your father and tell him what you need. He already knows what you need, but he delights in hearing it. It's like fragrant aroma. In heaven, God keeps prayers in bowls in heaven. What must prayer be to him if he collects it? In heaven, it's a sweet fragrance. You get a privilege to do that. And it is so encouraging to depend on God and ask your father for something. And like a good father, he delights in giving you good things. And when you see answers to prayer, what an encouragement to your faith. And if you have a time and you have a place and you have a regular habit of prayer, there's going to be great blessing in your life. It may not be an answer to every single prayer, but the blessing comes in the fellowship. You'd be glowing because you spent time with God. The day goes better and you're not beat down by your day. How many of you, if you just raise your hand and, and, and realize I'm being beat down by my day. It's like square one. I'm just getting beat up. And so many of us need to start our day with a time of prayer or have a devoted time and a place to get in our prayer closets and be alone with God. What would it do to your soul? What would it do to your spiritual walk what would it do to your evangelism and your fervor to share the gospel with people? What would it do to your service to your fellow brothers and sisters? You'd have more compassion. You'd have more joy. You'd have more of the Father's heart. So much comes when we actually delight in the realities and the sweet blessings of prayer. And this is just a joy for us and a privilege for us in what we are given and granted as children of the living God. We want to be faithful in this. The Bishop Ryle, J.C. Ryle, was an Anglican bishop, a faithful brother, once said, uh, he once said, to be prayerless is to be Christless and godless and on the high road to destruction. Praying is what Christians get to do. They get to call on their father. And to be without prayer is to be Christless on the high road to, 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 to hell. When we have a sweet relationship with the father, it is a mark of Christianity. It is a mark of delighting in the fellowship of God. The world doesn't delight in that. The world might go through rote mechanical religion, but heart cries up unto the Lord. Heart cries to your heavenly father come from the heart of a born again believer. And that is the gift and the blessing that the father delights to give to us.
One of the things that I used to do is I would go to a cemetery and I would have times of prayer. It's so quiet. And there was this one by my house when we lived in Oldham County and it was beautiful. I mean, you, you know, they did weddings there and it's just the grass is manicured. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. There's a little lake and it was peaceful. And one of the reasons I did it is because I was reminded that I am going to die one day and I want to make my life count for the Lord. And I want to be a man of prayer, knowing the fragility of life, knowing Lord, that, knowing that, the, that our lives is like a vapor. And so I would do devotions and I would do my times of prayer and, and having a place and having that time would really begin to encourage my soul in spending time in fellowship with God. And that's the blessing that Jesus calls us to in this passage. He rose early in the morning, while it was still dark, departed and went out to a solitary place, and there he prayed. The next thing that we see is that this ultimately was a method but what was happening to Jesus when he would begin to pray with the Father? Why, after a full day's ministry, does he come and be alone with the Father and get help in this way? And it's because there is power in prayer. Prayer is not merely a relationship with God, but it is the way in which God designed the fueling of ministry unto his glory. So when the early church prayed in the book of Acts, they prayed for boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel, and they prayed for power to come on the preaching of the word. And the word of God speeded ahead mightily, powerfully. We see this all throughout the pages of the New Testament. In the epistles, we're told that there's power in praying. And when we pray for the word, the word takes effect. It begins to work. It begins to move with power. And even in our passage, if you look a few verses earlier, what happened in verse 32 and 34? That evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit them to speak because they knew him. And then you drop down to verse 39, and it says, and he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And what do you have in between those verses? You have Jesus getting alone with God and praying. It's as if the Holy Spirit is communicating to us in the text, in the design of it, that prayer is what's sandwiched in between all ministry, whether it's preaching or whether it's the healing ministry of Jesus or serving compassionately, all we do is fueled by prayer. 
So that's why it's so important that we have prayer meetings as a church. That's why it's so important to be praying for our Sunday messages. That's why it's so important to be praying for gospel to every home. That's why it's so important to be praying for the power of the Spirit to work in and through your life. Because if you are praying, then you're going to be like the Apostle Paul. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5. Be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do you do that? Through prayer. Through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Making melody in your heart to the Lord. That comes from being a prayer warrior. Praying through the scriptures. Praying through the psalms. Open a psalm up and begin to read. And then pray about what you're reading. That's the blessing and the gift of praying for the power of the Spirit to come on the work of the ministry. And that's the privilege we have at Smithfield. And we have a service devoted to praying in Bible study and praying together as a church. And I, I just pray that that would just catch fire and we would long to pray corporately as a body. And we would long to pray as families. And we would long to come to the Lord and pray that he might do a powerful work. And I said before, every single revival in the history of the world, every great work that has been done in the name of Jesus Christ that has been effectual, full of fruit, leading to conversions from the Great Awakening to the Jesus People Movement to many revivals throughout our time has always been when the people of God began to pray urgent, desperate, heartfelt prayer to God to awaken to their own sin, repent of it, and begin to pray and knock on heaven and say, Lord, rend the heavens and come down. Awaken the nation. Convict men of sin. May they see their need. Oh God, open eyes. Take blind eyes and open them. Take dead hearts and breathe life into them. Do a work. And then God begins to move. That is the great privilege we have in praying for the power of God to come. It's been said that a prayerless pulpit is a powerless pulpit, and a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian, and that couldn't be more true. When we pray, there will be a power in our ministry. Colossians 4.3 says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. The Apostle Paul urged his people to pray that a door for effective ministry would open and that the word would speed ahead. He's praying for, he's asking his people to pray for the word to work. And God answered. And he was the foremost missionary of the entire church, and he spread Christianity largely through 
um, the, uh, Asia and, and Europe and all of these places in his missionary journeys where the gospel began to spread. And he was the, the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And you could read about the glorious work that God did through prayer-fueled proclamation all through the book of Acts. That's the kind of, of, of ministry we want to be about at Smithfield. Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.1 says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as it has happened among you. So he's saying, pray for it, just like it happened to you. A church was born in Thessalonica, and we want more churches to be born. Oh, that we would get a hold of this, and that it would rivet in our hearts and cause us to be a people of prayer. That's the joy. That's the gift. That's the blessing that we're called to. And God is after our excitement and passion to see sinners one to Christ. And, and if we ask, he's, he, he's ask, seek, knock, and it shall be granted. That's the Father's heart. He longs to hear that kind of prayer. And he, in, in here in our text, verses 36 and 30, through 38, it, it reminds us because the, the disciples are kind of off base here. Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus and they found him and they said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Jesus didn't just want to be a sidewalk magician. A lot of people were coming to Jesus because of his miracles but Jesus was after the proclamation of the gospel to the towns around him, to the next town, into the next town. He preached the good news. That's what verse 14 and 15 of the gospel of Mark say, right? Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe the gospel. That is the mission of Christ. He was about the preaching of the gospel and his disciples were wanting him to go out and do all of the miracles. And he's like, no, no, I gotta be about praying and preaching. The miracles come as authentications of his ministry, but his main business was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You ever wonder what Jesus was preaching? The good news about himself. All through the Bible, all through the gospel of Mark, he's promising that one day he will suffer and be crucified and risen and the disciples don't get it. And every time he's tempted to do something else other than that, you see Jesus get alone with the Father and pray. But whether it's before the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's with his disciples and he says, I must go and pray, right? And he's, he's deciding at that point, he's headed to the cross and he knows what's facing him. The wrath of God will be poured out on him. And he longs to come to the Father knowing 
Lord, your will be done. Is there any other way? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Father. And prayer was what fueled the mission to go to the cross. Prayer is what fuels the preaching of the cross. And prayer is what fuels the business of the church proclaiming Christ crucified and risen. And the church must follow Jesus in his call for a response. We can't simply preach and pray, but we must call people to respond, to repent of their sins and to believe. When was the last time you shared the gospel and you said to your friend or family member, you are a sinner that needs to repent of your sins before a holy God because wrath is coming, but he has provided a way of salvation. And if you believe, if you turn away from a life of sin and selfishness, you will be saved. That's good news. But Jesus also preached that hell is real. He talked more about hell and judgment than any other preacher in the New Testament because it was something he was calling men to turn from their sins towards the rescue he was providing. He bore the wrath so that we might have life in him. And this is the mission of Jesus, preaching the good news. It's the church's mission. And our method is a method of praying and preaching. Prayer-fueled proclamation. Flip the world upside down. And even in the book of Acts, you see the enemies of Christians saying, if this keeps going on, the whole world is going after them. They wanted to silence the preaching. Don't speak anymore in the name of Jesus. And they went and had a prayer meeting. Lord, give us boldness. And the foundation of the room shook. And the Lord filled his people with boldness. And persecution couldn't stop the church because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the gospel. And it just kept spreading and spreading because Christianity and the proclamation of the gospel cannot be caged. It cannot be bound. And no pandemic is going to do it. Jesus will be heralded and proclaimed. And his church, if his church will rise up and do it in prayer-fueled proclamation, we will see glorious things in our midst. We will be having baptisms. We will be seeing people come to know the Lord. And brothers and sisters, this is our privilege. It is our calling. It is our joy. Let us pray that God might flip the world upside down. One last quote from the Bishop Ryle. He said, let us give every part of God's public worship its proper place and honor. Let us beware of placing any part of it above preaching. And I would say prayer-fueled proclamation. By preaching, the church of Christ was first gathered together and founded. By preaching, it has always maintained its health and prosperity. By preaching, sinners are awakened. By preaching, the saints are built up. By preaching, Christianity is carried to the heathen lands and it changes the world. 
and it'll change our city. It'll change Smithfield. It'll change Henry County. It'll change Oldham County. It'll change Louisville. It'll change Kentucky. It'll change the nation and it will change the world. And it's already happened so many times over. Will we respond to the call to pray and to be a praying people? Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would bless your word, that you would encourage us to be a praying people who long to spend time with our Father in prayer, who long to have a time and a place where we pray, who long to be empowered by your Spirit so that when we preach, we preach with power. When we share, we share with power. When we love people, we love with power. And I pray that you would do a work in our church, that you would do a work in our city, that you would do work in our county and beyond. And I pray, O oh Lord, that as we have a chance now to spend some time as families praying, that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, I wanna leave you with this word. We are going to pray through the Lord's Prayer as families. And I want us to look at five things when we're together with our families around the, dinner, or around the breakfast table or over lunch. You take some time, 20 minutes or so, to really spend in prayer as a family and begin to pray through these five things, honoring God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Spend time thanking God. Confessing sin. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? This is all from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Pray for the proclamation of the word. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Pray for your city and your nation and spiritual awakening and the civil unrest. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then lastly, pray for the needs of your family and the church. Give us this day our daily bread. This is a time for us to come together as a church and pray. Pray in your families. May, it, may you start new habits. May you start new habits of prayer, of time together alone with the Lord and time corporately as families and corporately as a body to pray. Thank you.